0: Amen. If you could go back to uh, ancient Rome and were invited into a person's home, you would find something that might seem a little strange today. In the entryways of most homes in the Greco-Roman world, people would often place statues of their ancestors. I'm sure some of you have seen these types of statues, either on trips or in museums or in books. They were important in the lives of these ancient Romans because these statues reminded them and their children of their ancestors' constant presence in their lives, even if they had died many years ago. The young people of that time grew up revering their ancestors' whose faces they saw daily on those statues, which surrounded them in their houses and in their lives. Not many of us have these type of statues. Maybe some of you do have statues of your ancestors in your homes, but not many of us do today. And it's too bad because, unlike ancient Romans, we modern Americans are so focused on the present we slip easily into an out of sight out of mind sort of attitude in life. This is why events like Memorial Day we had last week and other events like it are important because they are times when we are intentional about remembering not only those who died in war certainly events that impacted our lives greatly, either directly or indirectly, but also all those others in our lives who have passed away, who were the foundation upon which our lives have been built. Remembering those people whose lives have shaped our own, aren't, it's not about past history. It's about understanding who we are today and how we can grow into our future. How we are a continuation of the creating and creative power of God alive within those who have gone before us and in ourselves. In our Gospel lesson from the Gospel of John this morning from the 17th chapter, Jesus is in prayer, praying for his followers, praying for us, for our future, He celebrates the way God's love is so in him, that he and God are like one, that he is God's love in the flesh, and he is praying that the glory, that the honor that God has given him might be felt by all of us, that we might somehow feel as well that we are one with God, one with Christ. That the living Christ is within us, that we too in our fragile and struggling way might feel God's love live in our flesh. And that we too might glorify God by sensing that oneness that draws us not only to God, but to each other as God's people. That we might find unity in our diversity. That was a catchphrase for United Methodism at one point. Maybe people still use it today. Unity in our diversity. Now one might argue some of the discussions we hear at General Conference Um, Our, you know, quadrennial meeting of Methodists around the world might lead us to wonder about that statement. But we are called not only as United Methodists, but as people of God to live that out. What does it mean to have unity in our diversity? How do we make that come alive when we all have Diverse identities. We identify ourselves in different sort of ways. What unifies us? What connects us? What brings us together as brothers and sisters? In our lesson from the book of Acts this morning, we hear Paul and Silas finding themselves in prison. Facing difficult situations, but standing fast keeping strong, holding on to their faith, no matter what they face. And I always think when I read passages like this about how early Christians, I'm talking about like a hundred years after Paul and Silas, how they read passages like this, in the midst of the struggle and the peril that they were facing at their time, how Paul and Silas must have been such models for them, these ancestors of the faith, reading about the challenges they went through, how it gave the others strength and courage in the midst of what they were facing themselves. It's the people of faith who have traveled before us, their hope and their love, that are not only parts of our memories, but more importantly, help to form our very being. Those who have journeyed before us, those who have faced struggle Those who are part of our families, people who have struggled to bring unity in our diversity in numbers of different ways, who have spoke out, maybe in challenging ways, people like Muhammad Ali, for instance, who challenged the world to think in different sorts of ways. Just like Paul and Silas, so many times in the journeys of our life we're faced with obstacles, we're faced with struggles we're faced with hardship that seems like it's closing in that imprison us, that keep us trapped in our thinking, in our lives, in the way we approach life itself we honor the memories of those who've gone before us by having the hope that Paul and Silas had, that God would take care of them no matter what they faced, no matter what they were going through. Do you remember people in your life who believed to the bottom of their heart that God would take care of them? Do you remember how they approached life Grab hold of not just that memory, let those people be alive within your faith today. And believe that God can tear down any walls that threaten our spiritual existence. God can break down those barriers that we want to place between us and other people. Paul and Silas didn't give up hope, they didn't turn against God, they prayed. They cried out to God like Jesus did, and their lives were transformed. They were freed to share God's love again. And when that jailer was so astounded by what he had seen, he asks that question, which is fundamental not only to the journey of faith, but to life itself. What must I do to be saved? And you can take it two ways when you read that story. He was worried about his superiors. He was going to be in trouble. What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas hear it a different way. That question of salvation, that question of salvation that we all need to ask ourselves. We're never going to be strong enough. We're never going to be good enough. We're never going to be safe enough. We need a power beyond ourselves. And this is what Paul and Silas was reminding that jailer. It wasn't up to him. He had something beyond himself, a higher power. He could call out to for strength and for support and for safety, for salvation. And so Paul and Silas answered that jailer with that powerful answer of faith. Believe. Believe. Believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in God's love in the flesh, in your flesh, and in our flesh, and in all flesh. Believe in that thing, in that unifying, creative spirit that lives within us. And you won't just be relying on yourself anymore. Salvation is at hand not through us, not through us being gods, but through us feeling a living God alive for us, working through us. Whatever keeps you from breaking the bonds of whatever pressure you might feel, of whatever addiction you might feel, of whatever hopelessness that might feel like is keeping you down, it's keeping you trapped, it's keeping you jailed in. Let that feeling of unity that allows you to look beyond those unimportant things that often separate us, that keep us from being connected as family because we're all part of the family of God. Now, I think back to how my family uh, connected, especially with my younger brother John and I when we were growing up. John, who's also a United Methodist pastor, now, John and I are about a year apart in age, and so we were basically in constant conflict. Uh, we'd be rolling around, wrestling, just punching each other for no clear reason at all, uh, feeling like you were different just because you had to be different than me, and therefore, whack, just to remind yourself that I'm, I am who I am and you are who you are. And there's something between us There'd be times we'd be wrestling around with each other, and then out of nowhere my mother would call us for dinner, and we'd be like, boom, boom, oh, it's time for dinner. And, and we'd uh, you know, walk into uh, where we'd be sharing dinner together with our fam- family, and somehow as, as our family gathered for dinner, and we began to be passing plates around, a sense of peace was passed around, not a sense of peas, a peace was passed around that seemed to allow a sense of connectedness and a sense of love that bound us together to overwhelm any differences we might have had. Think of how you can live as family with those around you. You probably identify yourself as very very differently than a person who is in this very church. You identify yourself very differently than people who walk around Cambridge in all sorts of different ways. You identify yourself very differently from people across the country, from people across the world. What does it mean to be a family of God? When we come to communion this morning, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. We come to sit at God's table or to stand in front of those elements of bread in the cup. And God asks us to look beyond anything that seems to separate us, any tension we might feel, any differences that might seem to divide. This is very important as we move to November, I might add, because we need to think about what it means to be a family of God, what it means to be a people of God across a country, across a denomination, across a world. What is fundamental about us as children of God. As you take that little piece of bread and you dip it in that cup of salvation, remind yourself that you are not God, that you need a God that unites with you as an individual child of God, and you need a God that helps you unite with others as children of God. Think about what that means for you, not only today, what it means for you as you go out into this world with people who think differently than you, who act differently, who look differently, who sound differently, who vote differently. What does it mean to be a part of a family of God? Does it necessarily mean, I bet it didn't mean in your family that you all agreed on everything. What does it mean to live as a family of God? Glorify God throughout your life by glorifying, by honoring the memories of those loved ones who shaped your life in the past so that you could live with hope for your future. Glorify God by living as faithful people have taught and showed you how to live with a hope that moves you through each day, believing that you are one with God and one with each other, that you have a Savior, that God has sent you a Savior and offers us love in the flesh, in our flesh, now and forever. Glorify God by believing in that unifying, connecting bond you have with other, with all other children of God that makes us family. Because that is the only thing that will bring us unity in our diversity. Let us pray. The gracious and loving God, as you call us you are to your table, have us come not glorifying ourselves, but come with all of our brokenness and all of our struggle and all of our dissension and all of our distraction and let us place it before you as we place ourselves in your hands. Give us that sense of your everlasting and ever-loving presence that surrounds us, that holds us, that unites us. Help us to find unity in our diversity. Help us to listen and to hear not only you but each other and take on that future you have placed before us as we grow together in knowledge and in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now let's sing together on page 2223 of the Faith We Sing hymnal. They'll know we are Christians not by our dogma, not by our book of discipline, not by, uh, you know, anything else but by our love. Stand and join me if you are able on page 2223. They'll know we are Christians by our love.